Many of us have various different things that we pray for regularly, and one of the things that I pray for regularly might surprise some of you is I pray uh, that with the Lord's help that I would see the unseen. I desire to, to see things that are not readily apparent to my eyes, not to make a lot of money or have success, so don't call me for stock market tips or anything like that, but uh, as we saw last week, to, to make a difference in the world, but also to see Jesus uh, more clearly. And we said last time that many of us want to do that, yet we know that it's very easy for us to be blind to things that are right in front of us, even Jesus himself. Uh, today, two seemingly insignificant in the eyes of the world uh, men are going to help us to see something and these men are the title of our message, they are blind and seen clearly. In fact, uh, they see even what the apostles themselves do not see. Last week, we noted that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem with the apostles and the crowds. They are going up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. But Jesus told the apostles that he is going up there for the cross. At the feast, the people will kill the Passover lamb, but Jesus himself will be the Passover lamb. The apostles have been told all of this is going to happen, but they continue to be blind. Last week, Jesus said the Son of Man came and he will give his life a ransom for many. Today, we will see Jesus use his power to extend mercy and compassion to others, not to save himself. Uh, Jesus is modeling what we learned last week. We, last week we talked about greatness in the upside-down kingdom, and even with um, the burden of the cross on his heart, we watch Jesus as he serves people. Oddly enough, it's two blind men, presumably two blind beggars who kind of had their place outside the city there, uh, of Jericho, we'll see in a second, who see who Jesus is and they call on Jesus, they trust in Jesus, and they follow Jesus. And if we see nothing else today, that's what we need to see. If you're taking notes, you want to break this passage up into three sections. Number one might seem a little odd. It's the blindness of faith. The blindness of faith, verse 29. Now they went out as they went out of Jericho. A couple things there. That word now is interesting. We'll come to it in a second. And they went out of Jericho. That tells us there was two Jerichos, both uh, an old city and a new city, but both pretty close to Jerusalem. They're about 15 miles out, and they're about one day's walk from Jerusalem. And, and we're told that now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and most likely people who've been kind of been following Jesus all along, the great miracle man, uh, from, from Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, and they, they want to see what he will do next. And so they're uh, on their way out of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a beautiful, beautiful city, very lush. Uh, some people refer to it as a little paradise. It was kind of like where all the rich people would go uh, to vacation. And there, on his way to the cross, we know in Jericho, Jesus meets uh, a variety of people, in particular, uh, he meets in the Gospel of Luke a tax collector, a very hated man uh, by the name of Zacchaeus. And here Matthew tells us about two blind men that he meets. 
Uh, as we said, the crowds are grow- going to Jerusalem. They are on their way for the feast, for the Passover. They're going to go to the temple. We might say they're, they're going to go to church uh, for the holiday tradition. But interestingly enough, they don't know God the way the hated tax collector Zacchaeus will come to know God and the way these two blind men will come to know God. Next week, we're going to, Lord willing, enter Jerusalem with Jesus. Now, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. Here we are. We are in chapter 20, 20 chapters of the birth and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and eight chapters, so 33 years, 20 years, 20 chapters, 33 years, and then the last week of his life is eight chapters. What does that tell us about the last week of his life? Very, very important. And the other Gospels have, have similar ratios. And so we're going to enter Jerusalem with Jesus. When we get to chapter 23, uh, we will, Jesus will draw attention to the blindness of the religious leaders who are joining others in the past, and they are in the process of destroying Judaism. Instead of seeing their king and their savior, the religious leaders saw in Jesus a man who was out to ruin their crooked, crooked, sorry, immoral and profitable enterprises and uncover the scandals that they were running in the temple. Now, the word now I find to be interesting because it tells us that people are following Jesus now. Now, Jesus will enter Jerusalem with a great crowd, but in just a week, we will see Jesus Christ alone on the cross and then placed alone in a tomb. Now, the crowd is doing something we must all be very, very careful of. They are following the right Jesus the wrong way. They love the miracles. They love the power. They love love the idea of Jesus being a, a king that overthrows the Roman Empire. But they don't like the idea of Jesus being the one to save them from their sins. They don't like the idea of Jesus being the one who is the Lord of their life. And, and we all know that, that it's very tempting to follow the crowd, isn't it? It's very tempting to follow the crowd. And, and a lot of people use this type of logic. They will say something like this. How could so many people be wrong about Jesus? And quite simply, the answer is this. People want God. People want Jesus on their own terms. We're going to see in a few weeks, or at the rate I'm going, a few years, when we get to Matthew chapter 27, Pontius Pilate, traditionally, the Ro- he was the Roman governor, they traditionally released one prisoner every year. And so they're go- he's going to give the people a choice. Do you want me to release Barabbas, the horrible, insurrectionist, revolutionary criminal, or do you want me to release Jesus? Who did the crowd choose? Barabbas. Why? Because the crowd was wrong. My dear friends, both young and old, if the crowd was wrong then, the crowd can be wrong now. Be very, very careful of following the crowd. In the Gospels, you've noticed in much of life, the crowd is often, some would say usually, some would say just about always going in the wrong direction. And here we have a crowd that is 
religious, but, but in matters of faith, they are blind. Do not follow them. Verse 30, after seeing the, after seeing the blind faith of the, of the crowds and the religious leaders, we saw it in the apostles last week, we come to two men who are physically blind, but we wonder, can they see? Verse 30 says, and behold, uh, some versions say look, and that's a very common expression that Matthew uses. We might say that he's calling attention to us to open up our spiritual eyes and to pray for God to open them. So maybe you're here this morning and you're having trouble seeing God. Maybe you want to just whisper a quick, we call them arrow prayers, to, to God and say, God, would you please open up my spiritual eyes And it says, and behold, two blind men, again, presumably beggars. People had seen them all the time. They were always out at their post, sitting by the road. Now, notice this. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And so though they're blind, they see And actually, in what they say, when they call him Lord, Son of David, they make one of the greatest professions of faith in the entirety of the Gospels. And here is one of the most basic points about the true heaven-bound faith of people. We see Jesus by hearing about Jesus. We We see Jesus by hearing about Jesus And then we begin to hear his voice. But they don't stop at hearing. They seek Jesus and they pursue Jesus. It says right here that they cried out for mercy to the Lord, the son of David. Now you're like, what's up with this son of David thing? Well, if you're taking notes, you might want to just write or down or write in the margin of your Bible. Second Samuel 7, one of the most important chapters in the entirety of the Bible, certainly one of the most important in the Old Testament where David is promised an eternal ancestor, an eternal king who will sit on the throne forever. And son of David was, was wording that they used for the messianic king that the people of God, the people of Israel were expecting. So somehow these two blind men connect uh, with Jesus with being both Lord, he is divine, and being the son of David being human, Uh, though blind, of all people, they are the ones who see the identity of Jesus. And now, unlike the past, remember in the past when people would say who Jesus was, he would say, shh, be quiet. The demons would call out who he was, shh, be quiet. Now Jesus is not going to silence anyone. Nor nor should, should we be silent. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul's last letter. He says this, Remember that Christ Jesus of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And that word gospel means good news. And what does he say is the important thing? Jesus, the whole last part of Matthew's gospel is about Jesus being crucified and raised from the dead. And the Apostle Paul says he was raised from the dead according to my gospel. There's a lot of things that people say Christianity is about. But let's always keep in front of us, it is about the gospel. That we sin, God put us on earth, we sin, and God himself became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life in your place and in my place, died on the cross for your sins in your place and my place, 
rose from the dead to prove that God was satisfied with the payment and who would ever put their trust in him would have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's so easy to get off base with that. Right now, we live in a culture where people want to talk, even Christians want to talk about the gospel of politics. They want to make it something it's not or the gospel of how to have a happy life or the gospel of this issue or that issue. But here he says here that, that, that Jesus Christ, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And he says, for which I suffer as an evildoer. Why is he suffering? He's always getting arrested. He's always getting beaten up, the Apostle Paul. Why is he suffering for just telling people the good news? Quite simply, because the crowd was wrong. People did not get it. He says, even to the point of chains, he would be arrested and put in chains, but the word of God is not chained. So the crowd can't stop it. I mean, people have been trying to stop Christianity for how long? And it continues to roll on. Verse 10, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect people who are the true followers of Jesus, that that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so these these two blind men are going to ask of Jesus only what two people in the Bible up to now you really see do. And that is the God of the Old Testament and the servant of the Lord in the book of Isaiah. They are going to ask Jesus to open the eyes of the blind. The Old Testament prophets, they they didn't do that yet. There's one time when Elisha asked God to do it, but the Old Testament prophets didn't do it. They didn't open the eyes of the blind. The apostles didn't open the eyes of the blind. That was not something they would go around asking people like Jesus did. Uh, The false teachers of their time, they didn't open the eyes of the blind. By the way, the false teachers today, they don't open the eyes of the blind. Only the divine Son of God does. But before they see the face of Jesus... They're going to see him as God and king. And I think in there we have a picture of salvation. They are, they are seeing Jesus, and Jesus is going to reveal himself further to them. And so let me ask you a simple question, simple question not to make anybody feel guilty, but not to leave here today without considering it. Um, can you see Jesus? Can, can, you, can you see him as God and as king? If you're not a follower of Jesus, we're, we're glad that you're with us here today. The, the, the first step is crying out to Jesus, admitting your need, that you need the Lord's mercy and compassion. You need his love and the forgiveness of sins. And our souls will not find rest until we see our need and come to Jesus. And what happens after that? Well, then after that, we receive the pardon for our sins. We receive peace for our soul and power over our sin. It's very interesting. Until then, no matter how religious you might be, the scripture describes you as being blind. Well, from the blindness of faith, we go to number two. We go to the barrier of faith, the barrier of faith. Uh, And the crowd, we said, is a picture of spiritual blindness, but, but they're often a barrier that we have to fight through. There's other barriers we have to fight through as the followers of Jesus, but, but we have to fight through this. Verse 31, uh, then the multitude warned them, some verses say rebuke them, that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more. I love that about these guys. The crowd's like, shh, shh, shh. And they're like, oh, really? You're kidding me? 
Jesus is here. We're not gonna we're not gonna sit around and be, oh, it's Jesus. You know, we're gonna we're gonna cry out to him, uh, saying, and what do they cry out? Hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit at your right and your left. Oh, no, sorry. That was the apostles and their mother last week. Yeah, no, that's not what they cry out. They say, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now, sometimes I think our Bibles clean stuff up. I, you know, they're, they're like, you know, they're telling the people, that, it says, the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. Doesn't that sound nice? Like, oh, here we are, crowds of people. You should be quiet. You should be quiet. I don't think it went down like that. I was like, shut up. Gosh, we're getting tired of listening to you. Yet these two will not stop pursuing Jesus. They are desperate and they are relentless. As we've seen, Jesus responds to desperate faith. It's interesting that he, that he always seems to to make time for those people who are desperate and who come to him. And if that's you today, Jesus will make time for you. You know, it's amazing when, when you, you pray to Jesus. You can come to him in the middle of the story. You know, and he doesn't go, whoa, 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 recap, recap, recap. You know how you talk to people and they're like, just start at the beginning. I have no idea what you're talking about. All the husbands and wives are looking at each other like, you do that, you do that, you do that. And also, you're... you're you know, you, you pray to Jesus, and let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone to pray to God, and did he ever go to you, would you stop interrupting? I'm talking to somebody else. Now, he doesn't do that. You, you can always go to him. He, he's never too busy. And the more the crowds tell them to quiet down, the more they cry out to Jesus. Why? Because once again, the crowd is wrong. The crowd is blind. Now, the crowd says that they believe. If you walked up to these people and you said, do you believe? They would go, of course we believe. What do you think we're doing out here? We're walking to Jerusalem. It's Passover. We're, we're going to celebrate the holidays. But instead of inviting people to Jesus, they're actually hindering these guys from coming to Jesus. And that's something we all have to be very, very careful of. We can hinder people with our words, with our deeds, with our, with our sin. Because it's, it's so easy to go through the motions of faith. It's so easy to come into church every Sunday and, and to try to look good and kind of look like you have it together. And, you know, oh, you got any problems? I got no problems. You know, everything's fine. You know, <laughs> what about all the problems I hear? You know, you told me last week, well, you know that, but I'm fine. You know, I mean, I'm fine. I'm doing great. And, uh, and so we try, we try and fake it. Some of us, we come in, we try to look solemn. Like, oh, so holy. I'm a very solemn man. Just ask me. And it's so easy to do that stuff and, and pose to be a certain way and miss the, the heart and compassion of Jesus. It's so easy to fail to see how that stumbles a lot of people. I mean, you talk to a lot of people and, and, and they hear, you know, about churches where people fight all the time. Can't stand that. Do not become that way. I'll give you a couple warnings and then I'm out of here if, if we start to act that way. But a lot of people, you talk to them and they're like, so our church, all we do is fight all the time. What should we do? I always go, you should leave, <laughs> right? Vote with your feet. <laughs> you know, it's, like, that, that just, it's, just, it's just a sad, sad thing. And I, I, I sort of get it why people would say they consider that a waste of time. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my brothers, that, that, that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And church is supposed to be a place of, of love. 
And, and it's easy to be a, a barrier to the very people that the Lord wants to minister to through us. I mean, and, and he simply wants us to just get out of the way and just, just yield ourselves to him and let him do his work. Now, when it comes to barriers and it comes to pressures, I know that a lot of you feel pressure from your friends and your family members not to follow Jesus. And Matthew is showing us and will show us the spiritual blindness of unbelieving people, in particular, unbelieving religious people. As we go along further in Matthew's gospel, we will see that the toughest kind of unbelievers are religious unbelievers. They are the hardest people to talk to at all. They're like, we go to church. Like, that's all it's about, you know. We, we, do our, we do our sacraments. We throw a few shekels in the offering bin. I mean, what are, you, what are you talking about? We celebrate all the feasts. And you try to tell them the Jesus, and what are they? Are they like the crowds who are like, oh, be quiet? Not really. They're like, shut up. I don't want to hear about it. And so, and so I think it's important for us to see that Matthew wants us to see that these religious people are are far more spiritually needy than the blind people, than the blind guys that Jesus is going to meet in this story. The crowd is is trying to keep people from knowing the true and living God. Why? Because they don't know the true and living God. You think if they really knew who Jesus was, they would be like, hey, you don't know Jesus? You got to go meet him. You got to go meet him. Come on, come on. But they are not like that. Yet unlike the the rich young ruler, remember him from a few weeks ago, who couldn't push through the obstacle of loving money more than Jesus, these guys push through. They push through the barriers of their physical limitations. They push through the barriers of the crowd. They push through their own excuses. Why? Why are they able to push through and yet so many other people are not able to push through? Well, I'll just put it out to you this way. It's because genuine faith perseveres. I mean, sometimes you find yourself in a situation where everything is against you to, to believe and to practice your faith. You're like, you know, your family's against you, your friends are against you, and yet you still feel this, this compulsion to follow after Jesus. Why is that? The reason for that is simply this, is genuine faith perseveres. It's just something that is built into the DNA of someone who has personal faith uh, has. These two have a lot to teach us. They're pushing through discouragement, and in this case, with a friend in the faith. And it's very important, I think, in our generation, one of the biggest challenges of our generation, and certainly in the generations to come, is going to be having true friends in the faith. I mean, just this morning before the first service, about 20 minutes before the first service, I got a, I got a text from a friend that said, I just want to let you know, I just prayed for you, and I'm praying that God would give you a great Sunday and you would speak forth the, the word of the Lord. And so it's so very important to, to do that. And, you know, there's values we have in a culture, and, and one value that's really diminishing right now is community and connection. People do not see that as that important. And we all know that technology is 
playing a very, very big role in that. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people are on technology, and they're like, oh, I'm connected to people all over the world. But here's two guys side by side doing faith together. And that's how God has built us. God has built us to do faith alongside one another. You say, well, I'm not really so sure about that. Well, let me semi-prove it to you. There was a recent poll that came out and, and, and said that who are the loneliest people in the world? Now, you would expect it would be the people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. Oh, the kids don't call as much as they used to, and, and you know, people forgot about me or something like that. That group actually scored the highest. They were the least lonely. Why? Because they come from a generation where connection had to be real. It had to be real with people. Most lonely generation, those in their 20s and 30s. Those that are most connected technology-wise, but, but, but they report being the most lonely. Why? Because we were wired to do life with one another. And so very important, those of you in a community group, stick with it. Don't give up. Don't be sporadic in your attendance. You were built for community. These guys are doing faith together. So from the blindness of faith to the barrier of faith, we come to number three, the blessings of faith. Verse 32, so, so Jesus stood still. Let's just stop there for a second. Jesus is on his way to the cross. There's tons of crowds. They're going out of the city. And there's the two guys who sit on that same street corner every day, yelling out, begging for money. And they yell to Jesus. And God stops. Blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. You know, they're telling them, shut up. They're probably saying, hey, Jesus, hurry along. Those two guys, they, they just never give up. Come on, let's, let's, let's go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. Right? No. It says, Jesus stood still. You get the feeling. I get the feeling like it's like watching a movie on pause. And, and, and only, did you ever see a movie on pause and only one person's moving? And it's Jesus. And, and, and the whole world just stops. The way they cry out somehow has gotten the attention of the creator of the world. And so it says, and so Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, last week, a woman by the name of Salome we encountered, she was asked a very similar question by Jesus. And we asked ourselves the same question. Let me ask you, did you give any thought to that this week? Have you really thought what you wanted from Jesus? Not, not selfish things for yourself, but what do, you, what do you spiritually, what do you really need? Verse 33, they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight. Some of your versions say that, it re that they, they recovered sight. So it may be that they already had it and they got it back. They lost, had it, lost it, got it back. J.B. Phillips says at once their sight was restored. 
And here's the thing that's easy for us to miss in the miracles. Sometimes it's the little wording that comes after it. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. They weren't like, hey, Jesus, thanks for the miracle. You know, a lot of people, they, they pray for something, they get it. They don't even thank God. Like, the, you know, the, they don't, not at all. These guys follow Jesus. You see, with the words here, when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus reveals his identity to us. That's not the way people talk. If we were talking to someone about this, we would say, what do you want God to do? But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, what do you want me to do? That's also in their, in their time period, they would probably, a lot of them be, would be familiar that that was the language of a king. When you would go to visit a king and you would go into the palace and you would go into the, the king's courtroom or, you know, and you would see the king and you would plead a case to the king, the king would say this because he was all powerful. The king would say, what do you want me to do for you? And here the king of the cosmos is asking these men this simple question. Now, in Jesus' day, many people thought that Jesus was a prophet. But this is not the way the Old Testament prophets talked. They would say things like, what do you want God to do for you? This is not the way the great prophet John the Baptist spoke. This is not the way the apostles spoke. They would say, what do you want God to do? Yet despite the greatness of Jesus, Jesus demonstrates the very same lowly service that he taught us about last week. And he stops and serves people. So what do these guys have for Jesus? We think if I do this and I do that, 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 that God will accept me. What do these two blind beggars sitting on the side of the road have for Jesus? And nothing. No, no, no prayers here. Really, they're crying out to him, but no candles, no, no type of different things that they're not going to give up stuff for Lent. And I used to work with a guy who gave up Jack Daniels for Lent. I go, you drink that stuff? He goes, no, that's why it's easy to give it up. <laughs> None of that stuff. None of that stuff. They just answered the call of Jesus in simple faith. They call out to Jesus. Jesus calls to them. He comes over to them. And he touches them. Now again, you have to, you have to bear with me. Usually during the week as I'm studying through a passage, I, I'm always saying to the Lord, Lord, help me get my arms around the passage. So when I get up in front of the people, I don't seem like I'm lost. And I seem I have some idea of what I'm talking about. But I got to be honest with you, I can't get my arms around this. I mean, you might be insulted by this. I'm not. I consider myself to be a very ordinary person. In a lot of ways, we're ordinary people. The world doesn't know who we are. Our loved ones know who we are, but thank God we're not on the news. But here, just think about this. Just picture the scene. Picture the scene. All these people. Jesus just told his boys that he's going to the cross. He's just told them that he is going 
on the most important mission that the world has ever known or ever seen. And two blind guys who absolutely nobody seems to care about yell out to God, become a man, and he stops. He actually stopped everything that he was doing, the whole mission, because that's how important people are to him. If that doesn't make you feel loved, then something your eyes really are not seeing clearly. That God would love me, that God would love you enough to stop everything that he's doing to come over to you. And not only did he did he stop, he walks up to them and he touches them. He is a God who comes close enough to people where he will touch them. So friend, let me ask you, what touch do you need from God today? Have you thought about that this week? Don't, don't, don't forget that this week. What touch do you need from Jesus today? Is it your spiritual life? Are you blind in certain areas? Have you grown dull? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Is it something that is so heavy on your heart you can't bear it? And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to bear it. I want to bear it for you. You can't fix it. You need me to touch you. Do you know what it is? And here's the interesting thing. Jesus says that they ask for mercy. We see the compassion of Jesus. This is one of those paradoxes or or seems to be a contradiction in the Christian faith. Jesus can fix it. And he doesn't all the time. And yet, he consistently has compassion. So you might sit there and you might say to him sometimes, you know what, God, you could fix this, but you're not. I don't get it. But you could never accuse him of not having compassion. We've seen this word over and over and over again. Again, most likely they're beggars. What do most beggars want from you? Money. You go to New York City. Guy's like, I just want money for food. You go, hey, come here. I'll take you out to lunch. Like, I don't really want food. There's food everywhere. I want to buy booze and drugs. That's what they'll say to you if you ask a lot of them. But they don't ask for money. They ask for what they need most. And again, put yourself in now in their shoes. When you read your Bible, don't put yourself in the hero's shoes. A lot of us, we put ourselves in, you know, in Jesus. I'll be like Jesus. You're, like, you're not like Jesus. Sorry. I hate to break the news to you. You know, we read David and Goliath, and we're like, I'm going to be like David. And you're like, no, you're like the brothers in the corner that are terrified. <laughs> okay? So, so just imagine you're these guys. You've heard, you've heard about Jesus. And he comes, you call out to him. He touches you. What's the first thing you see? The face of Jesus. And then with your eyes that now work perfectly, 
you look into his eyes and you see his eyes of compassion. I really believe this is a picture of when Jesus restores all things, when he makes all things new. And there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more crying as Jesus writes everything. Last week we saw the apostles were blind. This week those uh, who have no natural ability to follow Jesus do. Because Jesus called them. They responded and he touched them. And he opened their eyes. If you're here and you're not a true follower of Jesus, uh, you might be religious or not. It really doesn't matter. You need spiritual eyes to see the face of Jesus. Or maybe you were here and you were once a follower of Jesus and you need your sight restored again. Either way, the solution is the same. Cry out to Jesus and put your trust in him. Psalm 72, 12, King Solomon said, For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. These two men were sitting completely hopeless. Everybody else was all excited. They were going to the holy city for the Passover. And the only way they could get there was if somebody brought them. But now they are going. They simply heard about Jesus. They heard about his power. They heard about his compassion. They heard about his love. And that was enough for them to come to Jesus. So let me ask you, friend, is that enough for you? Is that enough for the gospel that you preach to people? The simple story of the Savior. Interesting. The crowd thought these guys were in the way, but now these guys are on the way. They're on their way to Jerusalem and to heaven. Last Supper, Thomas wanted to know the way to heaven. That very famous verse, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's the pushback on a lot of these types of things. Many would say, I, I would believe if, if only I could see. Well, these men didn't see. They were blind. And yet, they believed. They didn't let the depth of their need or the discouragement of the crowd stop them. They came to Jesus. Now, someday... We'll meet them in heaven. And we'll say to them, tell us about the day we, you met Jesus. And they'll say, no, 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 no. Let me tell you about the day Jesus came to Jericho. You see, Jesus had an appointment with us. We just didn't know it at the time. The scripture says, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There's an old expression, you don't need to see in order to believe. You need to believe in order to see. How interesting, these blind men were told that they heard that Jesus was passing by. They simply heard. They called on Jesus, and Jesus touched them. Friend, please 
Don't let Jesus pass you by today. Don't waste this time. Don't waste this moment. We said before they offered nothing. Well, initially that it might be true. While they offered nothing, they gave everything. You say, how so? It says they followed him. They gave their life to Jesus. They followed him to the cross. Faith that does not lead to following Jesus. Faith does that, that does not lead to being a disciple, which is simply a learner and follower of Jesus, is not faith at all. That's just religion. That's someone who is still outside the kingdom of God. Once two beggars, they are now brothers, now part of the family of God, adopted by a heavenly father, and now sons of the king. On the cross, Jesus will uh, show all who are willing to see that he is indeed the one who John the Baptist said is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. On the cross, the perfect Son of God will be plunged into the darkness of death. He who was the light is the light, ceased to be the light, plunged into the darkness of death. And he called out to his father for help on the cross. And his father turned a blind eye to him. And we're told that on the cross, the, when Jesus was on the cross, that darkness covered the entire area so you and I could see the light, so we could know the light, so we could walk in the light, have the forgiveness of sins in eternal life. So where do we start? Well, we start by admitting we're blind. We cry out in faith, have mercy on me, O Lord. I want to see and follow Jesus. I want to see the face of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, for it, is the God who commanded, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, that's the creation of the world, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Psalm fifty fifteen says this, call upon me in the day of trouble, the Lord says, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Today, the Lord calls you to call on him, to put your trust in him. And when you do, you will begin to experience the goodness of God. You will begin to know what it means to be blind and yet still seeing clearly. Well, let's pray.